In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. First, I like to wish you all a very happy and blessed feast of Saint Anthony. We celebrated his feast on Wednesday. May his prayers be with all of us. Amen. Tonight, we will continue our Bible study in Psalm 119. This psalm actually is the longest chapter in the scripture. This psalm is composed of 22 sections. 22 sections according to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Each section is composed of 8 verses. So each section of the 22 sections composed of eight verses. And almost in each verse, there is a reference to the word of God in each single verse, except a few verses. For example, verse 113, I love your law. 114, I hope in your word. 115, I will keep the commandments. 116, according to your word, and so on. So every single verse has a reference to the word of God. And as I told you, these 20 sections are composed and structured according to the Hebrew alphabet. So let me assume that the first section is the letter A in the Hebrew alphabet. So each verse of the eight verses start with the letter A. Second section, if the second letter is B, for example, then each verse of the eight verses start with the letter B, and so on. So far we finished 14 sections. Tonight we'll study section 15 and section 16. Section 15 is the Hebrew letter Samak and section 16 is the Hebrew letter Ain or Ain. Samak or Samak is the 15th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And as I said, it is used in the beginning of each verse in section 15, which is from verse 113 to verse 120. By the way, we pray Psalm 119 in the first watch of the midnight hour. So the first word in each verse begins with the letter Samik in the 15th section. The previous part, section 14, provided steps to take in order to put the law of God into practice. But this section 15 demonstrates what life looks like when anchored with the confidence and commitment to the word of God. So when we are committed to the word of God, how our life will look like. This part reveals three signs of such a life. Verse 113 and 114 
when actually you are committed to the word of God, your actions will be the right actions. Verse 115-117, you will have the right attitude. And from verse 118 to 120, you will have the right anticipation. When you are committed to the word of God, your actions will be right, your attitude will be right, your anticipation will be right too. The psalmist addressed the things one should hate, detest, and despise. And the psalmist has used the word hate in verse 104, I hate every false way. And used the word love to refer only to the word of God, like in verse 47, 48, and 97. But in this part, in the same verse, he will use the word hate and the word love. Hate in reference to the double-minded people and love in reference to the word of God like in verse 113 I hate the double-minded but I love your law section 16 which is from verse 121 to 128 each verse begins with the letter N In this section, the psalmist lifts up the true desires of his heart to God. He wants God's mercy and God's truth, for we are saved by God's mercy and we live by God's truth. Without mercy, we cannot be saved from our sins. So in this section, section 16, the psalmist presents a perfect balance of obedience. What obedience is. And he explains how understanding of man's complete inability to please God affects his understanding of obedience. No one can claim that I am obeying God completely. No one can say this. So there is a balance here that I struggle and I do my best to obey the word of God but in the same time I rely on God himself to give me grace to obey his word. So this balance is very important. Relying on the grace of God while I am doing resisting unto bloodshed as St. Paul said to keep the word of God. Also, understanding the word of God, not the intellectual understanding, but the deep spirituality of the of the word of God as revealed from God to us will help us to keep the word of God. This section 16 is an example of what it means to be a servant of the Lord and not a servant of one's self or a servant of sin or a servant of the world. And the psalmist in these sections as a servant of God 
make seven appeals to the Lord. Seven requests from God. He is in distress due to what appears to be some form of persecution and he begins to cry out to God to deliver him. Yes, when we obey the word of God and live according to the word of God, the world will hate us and will be persecuted. Intermingled with the appeals are interjections concerning why he is making such requests. He is explaining why he is making such appeals to God. Then, the last two verses in section 16, verse 127 and 128, his appeals are followed by an alliance to the Lord and to his word with a corresponding hatred of sin. He explained how he loved and appreciated the word of God even more than gold and silver and the riches of the world, but in the same time, he hates sin. Section 15, upheld and supported by the word of God. How we are upheld and supported by the word of God. Section 16, the servant of God seeks the word of God. Let's start by verse 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. The first emotion we see it here is hate. People often think of hate as an evil emotion. But actually, it is no worse or better than any other emotion. Because we as Christians, there are things that we are supposed to hate. And the psalmist perfectly illustrates this. What are the things that he hates? He said, I hate the double-minded. Who are the double-minded? People with a divided mind. People without firm faith in God. Is driven here and there. A skeptic. Doubters. It refers to a state of mind or heart in general where there is no firmness, no stability, a state of mind wavering and doubtful. Or sometimes we hear in the church, but when we are outside the church, we behave completely different. The psalmist knows a frustration of dealing with those who cannot choose one way. These people are uncertain and uncommitted in their lives. They are not committed either to the way of God or to the way of the world. This reminds me of Elijah. When the people during his time had double heart and double mind. So Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word, because they were double-minded. And according to St. James, 
the double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. But in contrast, the law of God is sure and certain. So the psalmist has two points in this verse, 113. He is rejecting the way of the wavering commitment. But on the other side, he has passion and love for the word of God. And to love the word of God is to love God. And to love God means to be fully and totally committed to him in obedience to him. But to be fully committed to God, this requires separation from all that is not God. To love God requires to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. St. James also, in his letter, after he spoke about, in chapter 1, how the double-minded people are unstable, he offered a cure for double-mindedness. As we read in James chapter 4, verse 8, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That is the cure, to draw near to God, to cleanse our hands, and to purify our hearts. Maybe some people will question how David says, I hate the double-minded. We should not hate anybody. Even the sinners, we should have compassion on them. St. Augustine explained this. St. Augustine says, after saying, I hate the double-minded, he explains why, by adding, I love your law, to show that he did not hate human nature in the unrighteous men. So he did not hate the people themselves, but he hated their unrighteousness, whereby they are enemy to the law of God, which he loves. Verse 114, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. The God whom the psalmist knew so well through the word of God became a refuge for the psalmist in troubled time. Verse 114 testifies to that which he knew of his own personal experience. When he said, you are my hiding place, you are my shelter. When he said this, he said it from experience, not from reading about God or knowing about God. He's saying, you are my hiding place and my shield. So this verse provides the reason that the psalmist has such devotion to God. Why he devoted and committed himself to God? Because God is his hiding place and his shield. And then he said, I hope in your word. The hope he had in the word of God was not initiated by mere intellectual knowledge. No. But this hope in the word of God was founded on a personal relationship with God. 
and he found security in God. God himself is his hiding place and he is his shield. And the term hiding place refers to a secret place, a place of concealment, place in which I am hiding and I am safe. But the shield used in wars to protect a warrior from the enemy's attack. So the psalmist finds in God both his concealment, hiding place, but also a cover, a shield, when Satan attacks him. And because he is secure in God, held tightly in God's hand, now he finds the ability to simply wait for the word of God wait for the fulfillment of the promises of the word of God. Verse 115 Depart from me, you evil doers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. There is no fellowship between light and darkness, between righteousness and unrighteousness. The psalmist knew that the best resolution was to put a space between him and the evildoers. That's why boldly he said to them, Depart from me, you evildoers. Good men should separate themselves from those who are manifestly workers of iniquity. Because as St. Paul said, Bad company corrupt good morals. And being in the company of the evildoers may hinder me from keeping the commandment of God. And he was committed to obedience. He was committed to keep the commandment of God. That's why he told them, Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. And your company will hinder me from keeping the commandments of God. There is not only a danger of being corrupted, as St. Paul said, bad company corrupts good morals, but also when we are surrounded by the evildoers, our attention is distracted. Our energy to keep the commandment of God will be weakened. And I want you to notice how the psalmist referred to God in very personal terms. He did not say, I will keep the commandment of God, but he said, for I will keep the commandments of my God. My God. He desires to obey the law of his God. He has already committed himself to God and he desires to remain steadfastly devoted to God. Verse 116. Uphold me according to your word that I may live and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. He knows in order to keep the commandment of God, he needs grace. He needs a sustaining grace. That's why he's told him, Uphold me according to your word. There are promises that you will support me and uphold me. 
So his idea was, this support uphold me would come according to the promises of the word of God, consistent with the word of God, and find its source in the word of God. God's sustaining grace always needed to uphold the righteous. And this grace is promised in the scripture. He said, uphold me according to your word that I may live. The life of the righteous depends upon God's faithfulness to his promise. God promised that he will uphold us. So our life depend on the faithfulness of God to fulfill this promise. And definitely God is faithful. God sustains us. There is no other sustainer. The psalmist is asking God to sustain him in the trials and temptation of life and to help him to bear afflictions. That's why he said, Do not let me be ashamed of my hope. As if he is saying, if God's promise are not kept, then I will be ashamed of my hope. But definitely God is faithful. He is saying to God, Lord, show the world that my hope is worth something. And let not my hope be thought of as being vain. So the psalmist could pray this because... He had his hope properly set. His hope in God, not in something you cannot rely on. People who put their hope in money, they are ashamed. People who put their hopes in the princes of the world, they are ashamed. But when you put your hope in God, you will never be ashamed. His hope was set upon God and upon the word of God. This reminds me of what St. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able, he is faithful to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Verse 117, Hold me up, and I shall be safe, and I shall observe your statutes continually. Hold me up, it is another request in this section, section 15. For support from God, hold me up, especially through your word. In receiving this support and security from God, the psalmist would use it for further obedience to God. Why he is asking God to hold him up? He told him, I shall observe your statutes continuously. So I want you to hold me up in order to commit myself to the obedience of your word more and more. That's why I'm asking you to help me up or to hold me up. So here, this constant dependence upon God, the constant prayer, hold me up and I shall be safe, will in fact keep 
David and keep everyone praises his prayer safe. He is asking to be kept from falling in the trials and temptation of the life. So even if the evildoers do not leave him alone, he told them, depart from me, you evildoer. He continues to humbly submit to God and ask God to sustain and support him so he may obey the word of God in a deeper way. So the result, when God holds him up, again points to God and to his word. I shall observe your status continues. The child of God who comes and tastes that the Lord is good will be quick to return to him. So even if he drifts away, he will quickly return back to God. It is an acknowledgement of entire dependence on God for salvation, temporal salvation and eternal salvation. Verse 118, now he's speaking to God. You reject all those who stray away from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. In verse 118, he speaks about the righteous judgment of God. In his judgment, he rightly rejects those who strayed away from the word of God. You reject all those who stray from your statutes. All who do not follow or obey or adhere to the law of God and the regulations will be rejected by God. And he is using here the word status as a measuring mark of his judgment. How God will judge us, whether you obey the word of God or you don't obey his word. And God will reject all those who stray from his word and the principles revealed in the word of God. What is the standard by which God judge all humanity? Obedience to his word. The psalmist anticipates and expects God to be true to his word because in his word he said that he will throw out all who rebel against him. Then he said, for their deceit is falsehood. What does this mean? means the principles they are living by. This principle with which they deceive themselves and also deceive others and mislead others. These principles are false and baseless. Therefore, God rejects them. Instead of believing in the divine principles, they made their own principles that are deceit and falsehood. Verse 119, you put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. So now he is explaining how God rejected those who stray away from his statutes. He said, you put away all the wicked of the earth like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. Those who will be rejected and removed they are just like dross. God removes the wicked as the refiners of the metals 
throws away the dross. What is the dross? The dross refers to the waste and impurities found in metal that float to the top when the metal is heated to the point of melting. Then they skim off. So when they melt the metal, the, the dross and the impurities float above and they skimmed off, they removed. So God will remove those who don't follow his commandment like how the refiner removed the dross. The dross actually is worthless and literally good for nothing. Therefore, it is disregarded. The wicked are ultimately separated from the righteous. Like how the pure metal goes down and the dross floats on on the top. So they are separated and cast away as dross since they can serve no good end. Knowing that God will remove them like dross, he said, therefore, I love your testimonies. Knowing that the wicked are nothing more than dross to be skimmed off and thrown away, the psalmist reaffirmed his devotion and commitment to the word of God because the principles in the word of God are not deceit, are not falsehood. I will be saved by obeying these principles. That's why his response, therefore I love your testimonies. Verse 120, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. When he started to think about the righteous judgment of God, made the psalmist praise God more. He praised God and he praised his word. Your testimonies are righteous because the word of God are the measures of the judgment. Then, anticipating this coming judgment, and he loves God all the more because of it, but considering what awaits the wicked in the final judgment, terrifies the psalmist. And he said, my flesh trembles for fear of you. And here you can see this contrast incredible contrast. While he has hope in the word of God and hope in God's sustaining power and how he loves his testimony, but at the same time, when he remembers the judgment of God, he says he is afraid of God and his judgment. He loved God, but he feared the judgment of God. He feared God's hand of correction because God does not pass over men's sin. God will chasten his children while there is hope. So here we notice that the psalmist did not celebrate over the judgment of the wicked. No. But it made him tremble in holy fear himself. He anticipated judgment which brings a response of holy fear, as we say in the litanies of the midnight prayer, when I remember your judgment, a trembles take hold of me. 
This part illustrates fear and hope, love and hate. All these emotions have a proper place and focus in a believer's life. What does one love? We should love the word of God. What does one hate? We should hate evil. What does one fear? We should fear that is the holy fear. Fear the righteous judgment of God. These things are at the heart of this section, section 15. People love what they are committed to, what they spend the time on, what they connect themselves to, and they hate what they avoid, what they separate from, what they turn their back to. And people fear what they know and believe about their best interest. In that light, they offer their obedience. So we as the children of God, we should love what God's love. We should hate what God hates. And we should fear him and fear his word alone. Here actually, the simple rule, obedience is the way for our salvation. Then section 16, each verse starts with the word in. But there are a few themes that run through this section, section 16, from verse 121 to verse 128. There is an emphasis on doing, acting, making in this section. So the Hebrew to do or to make, the Hebrew word is used three times in verse 121, 124, 126. There is also an emphasis on the psalmist. He refers to himself as the servant of God. The word servant was repeated in 122, 124, 125. Yes, God is our master and we are his servants. And this part reminds us by three things about obeying the word of God. In obedience to the word of God, we do our effort, but we rely on the grace of God to obey his word and to expect or to anticipate some hardships because we obey the word of God. So these are three aspects of obedience to the word of God and the life of belief. Verse 121, I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. The psalmist here begins with a bold assertion and claim to be one who does justice and righteousness. That's the first aspect of the obedience. Do your part. He is not only one who supports these qualities, I support justice and righteousness, but actually doing them, participates in them. This means walking in obedience to what he has learned in the word of God. This is exactly what people would expect of a man who actually used the word of God as lamp 
to his feet and light to his path, then he should actually observe righteousness and justice. David is saying that he had kept the law of God and had made that the rule of his conduct. The psalmist life is in conformity to the word of God and as such is an example to all those who watch from outside. So those who watch David from outside, they saw that he is doing justice and righteousness in his life. Verse 122. Be surety for your servant. As I told you, the word servant is repeated here. For good, do not let the proud oppress me. And in verse 121, he said, Do not leave me to my oppressors. Here, do not let the proud oppress me. So the psalmist had been obedient to the divine law. Therefore, he's asking God to protect him from his oppressors. We don't have merit of our own. We cannot actually say, God, protect me because... I am good. But when we are in obedience to God, in the family of God, friends of God, it is not improper to expect that God will intervene on our behalf. So the psalmist does not claim to be sinless. When he said, I have done justice and righteousness, he did not claim to be sinless. But he's asking God to defend him and his innocence against those who oppress him. For example, David, as a king, he administered judgment and justice to all his people. 2 Samuel 8, verse 15. So he's not speaking about all his life. David did not say, in all my life I am sinless. But as a king, I did my duty as a king in righteousness and justice. And also in dealing with King Saul, he did not do any evil to King Saul. And he said to King Saul, Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. So when David said, I have done righteousness and justice, He is not claiming he is sinless, but in his duty as a king and in dealing like with King Saul. The psalmist is asking God to defend and to stand up for him. It is only through God defending him that he could avoid the oppression of the proud. Only when God defends him, he cannot defend himself. Like Hezekiah, He asked God to undertake for him against the threat of death. There is no doubt the further thought that the divine protection would vindicate the profession which the loyal servant makes of his obedience. When we are loyal, obedient to the word of God, God actually will defend us. As in the book of Job, Job actually named God as the only possible guarantee 
for his suffering, to defend him. And the oppressors of God people are generally proud. They are such who deal in proud wrath, and in their pride they persecute the righteous. That's why he said, Be surety for your servant, for good. Do not let the proud oppress me. This provides evidence that his previous claim to justice and righteousness was not in an absolute sense. He did not say absolutely, I have done justice and righteousness. No. Because if David felt completely just and righteous before God, he would not have pleaded and asked God to be surety for him. But when he asked, be surety for your servant for good, this request assumes the biblical truth that God works all things for good for those who love him. And that David, he's not claiming perfect and absolute perfection. He needs God's grace. He needs God's surety. So immediately after he affirms his active obedience, I have done justice and righteousness, he maintains full dependence upon God to act as a guarantee for him. And that is a balanced obedience. I obey, I do my part, but I rely on God and depend on God as a guarantee for me. Even though he trusts God to stand as surety for his good, he is not afraid to ask for protection, ask God to protect him. God wouldn't tell him, how you ask me to be surety and at the same time ask for protection? Are you doubting my power to be surety for you? These two verses actually provide a picture of balanced obedience. Verse 121 and 122. We do our part, but we rely on God. Verse 123. My eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. He looked for help from heaven, but it did not come as soon as he expected. That's why his eyes start to fail, waiting for the salvation of God. As if he is ready to despair, to fall in despair. This waiting expectation shows that faith came before experience. He believed in God, that God will deliver him. But the experience he waited, waited, God did not actually come soon as he expected. So his faith was before the experience. The psalmist was willing to have faith until the experience came. And he would wait for God's salvation and wait as long as it took until his eyes start to fail. So this verse is not calling into question the absence of God's salvation or the lack of fulfillment of his promise. David is not doubting this. But the focus here is upon the psalmist's certain anticipation that God's promise will most certainly come to pass even if not now in the horizon. When he said, my eye fails 
mean? I know. I know you will fulfill your promise. I waited and I'm waiting. I'm waiting. But I know that you will fulfill your promise. Even I wait until my eyes fail. But I know that you will fulfill your promise. Though the eyes fail, yet God's word does not. And therefore those that built upon it, built upon the word of God, although they may be discouraged, but in the due time they will see the salvation of the Lord. Verse 124, Deal with your servant according to your mercy, and teach me your statutes. Deal according to your mercy, like in the divine liturgy when Abuna says, and he appointed a day for recompense in which he will appear to judge the world in righteousness. How we answer, according to your mercy, O Lord, and not according to our sins. And here, David did not say, according to your justice. For sinners can never urge that as a plea before God. Even in the melodies of Kahk, بنقول إن حكمتنا بعدلك فلا نجد حجة لكن ما رحمك نترجى وننتظر فضلك If you judge us according to your justice we don't find an excuse but we plead for your mercy and we hope in your compassion Deal It's another request here He's asking God to do, to act, to make to deal with him because David, he's saying, I am your servant, so deal with me according to your own mercy. No man who knows himself very well could ask of God to deal with him according to the strict and firm principle of justice. If you judge us according to your justice, we cannot stand. But one may ask him to deal with us according to his mercy. The psalmist is coming before God in full acknowledgement that he is the servant of God. And as a servant, I am your position, I am your property. That's why I am leaning on your grace and your mercy. And this mercy will be manifested in the role of a teacher and a student. God is my teacher and I am his student. So the psalmist understood that when God teach his people, it is evidence of his mercy. That's why he said, deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. So this act of teaching is in itself act of mercy. Verse 125, I am your servant. See here the emphasis about the word servant in verse 122, be sure for your servant. 124, deal with your servant. 125, I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimony. So for the third time in these verses, the psalmist called himself a servant of God. He understood that this meant he had obligation to God and God also as his master had obligation to him. That's why he is asking for understanding. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. The psalmist wanted understanding 
Why? Not so much to know the future, but to know the testimonies of God better. Give me understanding to know your testimony. He believed that the word of God could be understood only with the help of God himself. Give me understanding. Cause me to understand. Make me to discern. So the psalmist desires of God's word to know it truthfully, intellectually, and experientially. He believed that understanding God's word was of a very great importance because it would lead him into other wisdom and understanding of life. That's why he told him, give me understanding that I may know your testimony. Verse 126, it is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. In some translation, it is time for us to act for the Lord. And I will discuss these two translations. Here, it is time for you to act, O Lord. It is time for us to act for the Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Some interpret it as it is time for believers to do something for God. Others say, no, it is time for God himself to do something. But the direct address to the Lord in the latter part of the verse would seem, however, to show that the latter is the true interpretation, which is God himself to do something. He is saying, for they have regarded your law. Since he is addressing God, then the first part he is addressing God also. It is time for you. So this translation is the most accurate. It is time for you, O God, to act. Why? Because the people have regarded your law as nothing, as void. So since the people make void the law of God, it's time for God to work, to intervene by his power and to restrain them. Or to bring them to repentance and to assert his own authority. It is a desire that God would appear for the vindication of his own honor and glory. Also, others interpret this verse about the coming of the Messiah. It is a time for you to act. It's a time for the Messiah to come, according to St. Augustine. What would that act be? Which act David is speaking about? He said, the grace that is to be proclaimed in Christ in due time. The grace of the coming of the Messiah. Because once the law was broken, people considered the law like void. It's time for the mercy to send the only begotten Son of God. It was always a notion of the Jews that the time of the Messiah's coming would be when it is a time of great wickedness on earth, as we read in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. Verse 127, these are the two last two verses in our Bible study tonight. 127, Therefore I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. 
The people regard your commandment as void. But me, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Although others regard the word of God as void, the psalmist decided to love the commandment of God all the more in response. And the psalmist expressed in verse 127 and 128 his devotion to love strongly the word of God. And both verse 127 and 128 start, therefore, therefore, because they considered your law void, therefore, I love your commandment more than gold. Yes, the fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. These two verses are response to verse 126, in which all the people, or many people, considered your law as void. So in light of the fact that the time to act is now, time for God to act, I therefore love God's commandment. And here the word love is more than emotion. It is objective, measurable devotion to the word of God. This devotion exceeds the devotion to wealth, gold, even the greatest of wealth, the fine gold, the pure gold. The psalmist remembered what kind of men considered the word of God as void. Who are these people? These are the arrogant, the wicked, the enemies of God, the double-minded, the oppressors who had been enemies of God's word. He knew that the word of God was lovely. The wicked were likened to dross. They will be removed, disregarded as worthless when refining metal. So when he used the word fine gold, describes the pure metal that remains after the melting process and after removing the dross. So the love and devotion for God's word exceeds the best choices of earthly pleasures and desires. The fine gold, the pure gold, is the, the best of earthly pleasures and desires. With great confidence, the psalmist proclaimed the perfection, the purity, the trustworthiness of God's word in verse 128. He said, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. Again, all your precepts concerning everything, I consider all of them right. And I hate every false way. It was right, not wrong. And it was right concerning all things. The word of God right concerning all things. Because the psalmist loved and trusted the word of God so much, he naturally hated every false way. If you love the word of God, you will hate every false way. Every single word of God's step-by-step instruction are accurate and correct and will be followed to the letter because he hates every false way. The Lord Jesus Christ said, no one can serve to master, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot love the word of God and love the false ways. You cannot. 
And significantly, the psalmist hated every false way, not just some of them. He said, I hate every, every false way. He does not pick and choose among God's commandment, which one to obey, but honor all God's commandment as perfect and obey them all. He had total devotion to follow God entirely. This concludes section 16 and Psalm 119. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.